Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football is back and so is winning season at my bookie. Use promo code Gators on a deposit of $50 or more and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your my bookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gators and use code 50Gators for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. And as Billy Napier said earlier today, it's a big week. It's Tennessee week. So here we are, SEC opener for the 2023 season. Tennessee comes to town, taking on the Gators Saturday night in the Swamp. And to help me break it down from an offensive perspective, you guys have seen him on GatorsBreakdown.com. He's been on Gators Breakdown before as well. Seth Varnador joins me right here on Gators Breakdown from Varnador Films on YouTube, where you can find his film analysis uh, uh, up there. Seth, you've been busy with it uh, following this 23 season for the Gators. But, uh, hey, first time on the 23 season, you're joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. Yeah, I'm excited. I've been so busy, I had to train my wife how to cut up video. So she's been helping me out. <laughs> but, uh, she did a great job this week. So I'm excited to see how that looks going forward. But yeah, no, excited to be on for the start of SEC play. So yeah, okay, I got to see if I can talk my wife and my daughter into doing this too, man. So I gotta, we got to get some, we got to get something going here. I, yeah. I, yeah, I think as I go down the road, she just turned not, or she, she'll be 10 in February. I'm like, one day. Maybe maybe I can just hand all this off to her, you know. When when I'm riding off into the sunset, maybe this is all become hers one day. Just the just the real monotonous editing. If I could get if I could teach <laughs> one of them to do that, I'd be really excited. I hear you. I hear you on that one. So yeah, we're gonna dive into this Gator offense through the first couple of games. Utah, of course, week one. Nick Nice last week. Uh, you guys have seen Seth's work there, as I said at GatorsBreakdown.com, and the latest went up there right now. Um, dives into the creative wrinkle in Billy Napier's offense is and uh, kind of how Billy Napier uses progressions to make it easier for his quarterback a bit. So uh, go to there, GatorsBreakdown.com. We'll get into a little bit of it on this episode, but uh, head to the website there to, to, to check it out in detail there from Seth. And then, uh, but Seth, yeah, man, hey, big game, big game this week. Um, we'll talk about it later, too, so maybe keep this in mind a little bit, but I think it might be the first game. Billy Napier's got some pressure on him a little bit. 
Yeah, and if if it's not this one, it'll be a one in a couple weeks. Right, so. Exactly right. It's, <laughs> it's it, coming. It, it, it's coming down the pipe one way or the other. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so plenty to get into there. We'll hear from Billy Napier. He spoke to the media today on this Monday. Not to get the thoughts of uh, of Florida heading into Tennessee, but everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Like us. That hey, all those likes go a long way right there on YouTube. Your subscribe, your subscriptions go a long way as well. And then of course, as I mentioned, uh, GatorsBreakdown.com. We have a lot going on there right now. Uh, Billy Napier's press conference today. I'll put that up for you guys. Scheming with Seth, the latest there as well. Uh, and then the unfortunate, you know, uh, Micah Burrow or Makai Burrow decommits from Florida. I'll wrap uh, wrap up the episode uh, with that fall as well. But you can find it at GatorsBreakdown.com. Then, of course, Gators Breakdown Plus. If you want ad-free episodes of Gators Breakdown, you can get it there at Gators Breakdown Plus. Extra episodes, access to the Discord chat. Hey, well, you, can, you can chat with Seth right there too uh, during the games as well. And you will see what he points out. Um, if he can, if he's not busy following USF as well at the same time, uh, <laughs> busy, busy man is Seth, uh, during football season, but he interacts there a good bit on that discord with a lot of others kind of, if you want to get into the weeds of football, we've got a channel going right there where it's just uh, play by play, uh, and, you know, really get into deep detail uh, about what the Gators are doing. So all that good stuff, you get a newsletter to the website as well. Gators breakdown plus link is in the description to join Gators Breakdown Plus. So, all right, Seth, go. As I said, two games so far. You had a tough opener versus Utah on the road, all the circumstances that come with that. And then you go to get McNeese, a team you should bowl over. Florida bowled over them like they should. You have a coaching background. You have a, you know, a playing background also in what you're seeing now. You know, how – how do you weigh what happened? Because we know we're going to weigh so much on what happened week one versus Utah, but this team kind of needed to pick up the pieces, needed to do the things they needed to do. They showed that. You know, how, how do you put it up against the Utah game and the McNeese game for what this offense showed? Yeah, I mean, I, it's probably not going to be – I think it's almost going to end up being looking like two extremes probably for the season where you have um, – you played and executed – probably hopefully i mean we'll see but hopefully about as bad as you could in that first game and then uh this last one you played really really clean until the very end uh against a really overmatched opponent so um there's not i think there are some good things to take away from both games you'd like to see a team come out and actually execute um like they did this past week i thought i was not hitting the panic button quite yet after the utah game um there was just a lot of you know, they're playing a lot of young guys on both sides of the ball. And it's just guys making – these are not like, – the, 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 these are errors that can pop up when you go on the road with a young team for the first time. So I wasn't too freaked out. Um, obviously, the, the offensive line and the run game were worrying in the first game. But I, I think they, they've got to figure out, and, and that's kind of what I've written about. they got to figure out a way to protect the run game and um, – if they can kind of be a little bit more like they were this past week, I think it'll probably be a little bit easier for them going forward offensively. So, you've been around college coaches too. Like, yeah. Maybe some insight here. How, how do they, for lack of a better term, how do they weigh cupcake games? You know, do like what, what do they take away the most from that type of game where you know you're going to win, and if you don't, or yeah. if you play a tight game, there's some problems. But if everything goes according to plan, what do you take away from so much good? 
Yeah, well, well, the college staff I was on, we were the fir- we were probably uh, we were on in the first year of a new program, so we might have been the cupcake. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, every game you ju- you're you're just looking to go out, and it's really the same kind of goals every week. As boring as it sounds, you're looking to if your guys go out and execute what you call, then you feel pretty happy with them. now. Just because they execute the call doesn't mean it's always going to work. That's the other part of it because you know the other team has guys on scholarship and the other team gets to call plays too. So. Uh, but you're just looking for them to go out and execute the call. And if they do that, you can feel pretty happy. I know that is a big thing. I don't know if, you know, I'm sure Napier's got the, you know, we're we're playing Florida this week type of thing that Clemson, yeah. that's their big thing. We're playing Clemson every week uh, when they really had it going. Now, it's not been so fun for Clemson recently, but uh, just the idea of, hey, if you go out and execute no matter who you're playing against, that's all we can really ask you to do. And I don't think they did that against Utah. Um, I was not really impressed in the offseason with Utah's defense, and I'm still not just personnel-wise. You knew they were going to be well-coached and they were going to be in the right spots. Uh, but I don't. I think when they play some better offenses, they'll get uh, they'll be in trouble. But so you, you didn't feel like you went out and executed at that level uh, in week one, but week two, I mean, you really couldn't ask for much better. There was a couple things here and there, but for the most part, you you did exactly what you wanted to do pretty much the whole game. Uh, so, so we know the big changes for Florida. We've seen a spring game. We've seen Utah. We've seen McNeese. No more Anthony Richardson. And go back to it too, a little bit. No more Levi Lewis for Billy Napier. You know, guys that can make something happen with their legs, get out of trouble. We saw the issues there for Graham Mertz of not necessarily be, being able to get out of the trouble on the road at Utah. Uh, so this offense does change uh, a, a bit and with the style of quarterback. So a spring game, two games so far, what? What differences besides, of course, the obvious of, of having an athletic quarterback? It does. It has a. I know it's only two games, so I know a small sample size here too. But are there any differences you've seen so far that you expect to carry over into the next ten games for the Gators? Well, I thought you know going in coming out of year one, I had a couple things. You know, there's a lot of doubts about the passing game, but it seemed pretty apparent as you watched the whole year and went back and looked that they tried some things early in the year last year. Uh, in terms of the quick passing game and some RPO game that they just ended up trashing just because for one reason or another, they couldn't do it very well, whether it was personnel at receiver or it just didn't fit the, what the quarterback was doing well. Um, so I, in the offseason, I was hoping you'd see a lot more in the, scr- in the screen game and a lot more in the quick passing game. I think we've seen that evolution in the screen game, and they're doing it in interesting ways. It's not just we're calling a screen on most of these plays, if you go back and watch, they're calling two screens. They're calling a screen to both sides of the field. And uh, this part I don't know, so I can't say for sure, but sometimes teams will do that and they'll have the quarterback read something pre-snap or post-snap to decide which screen he's going to throw. Uh, but they're doing that pretty much on every screen they call. You can even go back to the Utah game. The screens, if they're through a screen one way, if you look at the other side, they're running a the screen there too. So that could all be for just eye candy and window dressing, uh, but they could be reading that as well. And then the obvious one is, you know, the lack of quarterback run game. And I think really the lack of the threat of the quarterback run game, which was more at times last year, uh, was more of a factor than the actual quarterback run game. Um, But, you know, just being able to hold the backside a little bit with just the threat of the quarterback running, that keeps people off the backside of your run game. And they're trying to control it this year, I think, with screens. Um, You saw a little bit of RPO against McNeese. But they're going to have to, I think, get that going a little bit more. And and I really thought against Utah, some intermediate, like 
nine to 12, six to 12 yard play action stuff. Uh, so some kind of play action, quick game stuff, play action, intermediate passing game stuff would have been really helpful as they stacked the box against you. But, um, you know, so far, not a ton different. There's a little, I think the screen is like the biggest thing that sticks out, but I'd imagine you'll see more as, as the season goes on. You mentioned there, and look, we know going back from the spring, and we heard it a whole lot from fall camp, um, from one, maybe one of the first uh, closed practices that went through, and there were some eyeballs there, and then we had to open practice on the on the Saturday. Then we got some scrimmages, and the words coming out was, all right, Graham, Mitz, Graham Mertz is going to excel and even maybe live in that short to intermediate range. Well, we've seen that translate as well. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. much been the whole offense so far uh, it, it, with, with Graham Mertz in this passing game. Are you seeing a lot of called shots down the field? Is it not pulling the trigger? As I said, I know, look, guys, I know I won't. This is probably the last time I say it. Small sample size. We yeah. know two games. Uh, but Utah did a good job uh, of defending this Florida offense. McNeese just played three deep. and <laughs> yeah, they, not, they weren't letting anything behind. <laughs> yeah, so that plays into it as well. And, you know, we hear so much, and you talked about boring football terms. Well, here's one more, too. We're going to take what the defense gives us, and that's exactly what Florida yeah. did Saturday night. Um, but at the same time, with those three deeps, was there – those three deep safeties, was there still some routes going down the field and Mertz just taking advantage and basically giving what the defense is giving him? And, you know, I, I guess compared it to a year ago as well, you know, can – can that still be a staple of this offense, or is it even maybe even a limitation of Graham Mertz as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the thing that you know. I think a lot of people are clamoring for some more explosive in the passing game, but the two teams you've played have both tried to keep a top on the on the offense and take away those explosive passing plays. And that is a, that is, I think, the first time we ever talked was um, in a Twitter space last year before the Kentucky game. And that's kind of what we talked about. Like, hey, this is what Kentucky likes to do. They like to keep a top on the on the offense and make you slowly, methodically, efficiently move the ball down the field. That's pretty much what Utah, I think, decided to do. And then you saw McNeese. You know, I, I think they they I, they went for the death by a thousand cuts approach. I guess uh, putting like five guys in the box wasn't you know <laughs> the best strategy. <laughs> but I you know I guess you, it could have been eighty to nothing if they just gave up shots all game. So. Um, I, I think that's not for lack of trying to get the ball down the field. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these are, are um, check downs. So it's good to see the quarterback get to the check down. Um, but I, I don't think the explosive passing right now is for lack of trying to push the ball vertically. But I think where they could maybe improve is you can get explosive passing. They don't have to all be air yards. Yeah, you know, hit, hit hit somebody intermediate on the run and and get a little run after catch, and then you could generate those explosives. That might be how you have to do it if people keep trying to put a top on. Because going into last year, I didn't think Florida was going to be very good throwing the ball, just because I didn't think they were explosive enough at receiver. Um, so when they were able to generate that much explosive passing game last year, that that was a sign to me that um, there was some good design in the offense because going into the year, I'm like, who's who's going who's the explosive receiver? Because you had some guys that were straight line fast, but nobody with a lot of wiggle or anything. So the fact that they were able to be so explosive, I thought was a good sign last year. And this year, people are going to make you be efficient. It seems like so far. So the fact that your quarterback's getting to the checkdown, I think, is good. And now you need to get into more of that intermediate. I think you know just the intermediate passing game that'll kind of t- help take it to the next level, especially if you can get some run after catch opportunities. 
Yeah, that's where I see the explosives coming from, too. And I, I said that before the season. I didn't think it was going to be disappearing two games in. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah. I really do think that's all. That's pretty much all they're going to come from now. Maybe we'll see how teams, you know, if – you know, if you start getting explosives through that short intermediate, then maybe you start, you know, you maybe the, the defenses that you start playing adjust, and then you can hit those. I mean, because we know Napier loves them. And that goes to my next point here. JP Gator, who's in the Gator Discord, uh, Gator's Breakdown Plus Discord with us a lot as well. He wanted to get your opinion on, because it would be interesting to see what Seth thinks the obvious counters are for teams looking, uh, looking, um, to take away the deep shot play action game on early downs, something we know Billy Napier did a whole lot of last year and just use AR's freak of an arm to throw it yeah. 70 yard down the field. Even with the quarterback change, that's not as likely as it was last year. But, you know, for those, you know, what do you see defenses doing, you know, for maybe a staple of this Billy Napier offense, making sure it doesn't come to fruition? Yeah. If you're, if people are going to just keep a top on the defense, that's the thing. You can't, if you design it well enough and you kind of call it well enough, they shouldn't be able to both keep a top on the defense and load the box for the running game, right? If, if you do that, you should have some openings in the intermediate area to throw the ball. Uh, so I, that's what I thought was kind of lacking against Utah. It, you could tell early they did not want to allow explosive in the passing game. They were going to put three deep on most plays. Sometimes it was a too high shell. They did, they did move you know, three high to two high, but you usually had at least two guys deep over the top. And then you had a bunch of other dudes playing hard for the run. Anytime they saw downhill run action, you see, you could see linebackers Mm. and safeties fly to the ball. That that reminded me so much of Kentucky. Yes. That's why that's, I think that's the blueprint people are going to use. And that's what I would have, you know, if I'm playing for the last two or three years, that's what I'm using. Make them, especially, you know, Mullins last year, um, and even maybe the year prior, no, maybe not the year prior, but his last year for sure. Yeah. Make the Florida shot themselves in the foot against Kentucky with penalties. And it was kind of, okay, this is kind of the, the, uh, this is, I think the recipe to make them, because really elite offenses can slowly methodically move the ball down the field. Not elite offenses. You're not going to be consistent getting eight yards at a time. That's why people put such an emphasis on explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you hit one, your chance of scoring on that drive just rockets up. So, to me, if people are going to put a top on the defense to take away the explosive shots, you've got to have – I would take advantage of the aggressiveness against your run game with some play action and hit him in that 10-yard window, see if you hit a guy on a, on the run. I thought there were opportunities against Utah. If you just call a slant, because there were times they were playing – like they were playing eight guys in the box, cover three, the corner's playing way outside. If you just ran a slant to Pierce off a really hard run action, he catches it, and if he beats one guy, he's gone. So I, I think there's opportunities for that, and maybe that's not what they anticipated coming into the year. But that, and mm. then um, you know, just their play action stuff that they were really good at last year. They got to keep with the boot stuff. I thought was good against Utah, but they didn't get to it a ton. So that those are the kind of things that if I think that is that intermediate area that they did a pretty good job with last year at times attacking and they did against Tennessee where you get the guy over the top yeah. and you get Pearsall kind of in that intermediate 15 to 20 yard area a few times last year. I think they need to kind of really wear that out. Yeah, it was, um, and especially you mentioned the, you know, the being able to go what, eight, eight, eight yards, almost every play. Yeah, that's My thing that's is, tough. With, yeah. And especially with what we've seen from Florida so far is field position has not been the best. 
Uh, no. So you are you're asking a lot from this offense to. So you're not going to see a ton of eleven play drives against good defenses. No, you're not exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and that you know I was mentioning about special teams before the season even started that we don't know what this offense is going to be yet, but at least give them a hand. Well, it's even more apparent now. <laughs> they yeah. absolutely need every bit of special teams help uh, to you know reduce some of the the number of plays in these drives. So uh, let's keep it going. Uh, one of your points on your most recent article there, scheming with Seth on GatorsBreakdown.com, uh, you mentioned you know the flood concept and how that's been helping Billy Napier and make it easy for his quarterbacks. But as we kind of maybe transition to this run game, and it was shut down versus Utah, and we were talking about it on the Discord as well. Maybe Florida's now got to find some ways to get creative uh, in, in the run game. And you mentioned, you know, with a running quarterback, the backside defense has had to worry about it a whole lot. So yeah. now can they scheme something together to where that backside basically still has to be accounted for? Now, we saw the, the, the Trey Wilson, you know, direct snap and him take it. But when Graham Mertz is that quarterback, you know, what can they do to make sure, you know, they can't just key in on the, the middle of the, the offensive line and keep every run two, three yards, you know, can yeah. all the motions come into play? Can Graham Mertz maybe even keep a couple of more? I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but you know, five yards a pop or something like that to keep a defense honest. What are things Florida can do when Graham Mertz is that quarterback that you know can really maybe open up this run game a bit where far you can get creative. Yeah, I think the motion stuff is important. You know, I've I've coached in the past. We didn't have athletic guys that we were a zone team. We didn't have athletic guys at quarterback, but we'd use the jet motion, uh, even like that orbit motion where he goes behind, uh, and really, you know, like they did against Utah, give give Wilson a reverse. That will that'll slow the backside down from if he's if you give him one early and he takes it for a long run, that'll slow them down. Give him a jet sweep, that'll slow it down. Um, then I think, you know, if you're looking at – then that's really more – you know, that, that could work on two levels. But if you're really – what I think Florida's getting to is people are starting to take the defensive end, let, let him fly down and get the linebacker over the top for the quarterback if he pulls it on boot. Because that's really the first answer for most people is if your backside defensive end is going to fly down to run, well, now we're going to run boot, the quarterback will pull it, and we'll run play action the other way. Teams have started to bring two guys off that edge. So what can you do there to, to kind of slow that down? That's when I think you need to get into a little bit more like true RPO game, which I think they can do. Uh, Mertz has shown he can do it in the past, and I think you feel better with your guys you have playing receiver this year. Um, so that that could be part of it. But then, you know, in terms of the run game, you know, if you're not – if the zone stuff's not working, I thought they've done really well, and they did against Utah running some gap schemes where you're – down blocking and pulling guys instead of just moving in zone uh, that lets you get a little bit more downhill. Whereas the zone sometimes is a little bit more uh, horizontal before it gets vertical. So if you maybe, maybe we need this thing to hit a lot faster just because we're not holding blocks as well this year for whatever reason. Uh, so maybe you go to a little bit more downhill uh, gap runs and they've done really well with those. I think against Utah, they, had, they only ran it a few times, but it was the most successful runs of the game by far. So you can mix more of that in possibly, but th there's there's answers and you can do it either in the way you design your run games or, or with the with the motions or even RPO stuff. But there's ways to control that backside. And once you do that, get guys out of the box or at least slow them down. That's when you get those big cutbacks in the run game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Tennessee did a pretty good job in this Florida run game last year, you know, especially the, the, the running back. So 
Uh, is the game going to be more on Mertz's arm? Can Florida get the run game going? And you know, I think you know with the game versus Utah and what Tennessee was able to do last year versus uh, these pretty good backs, uh, the run game is going to have us work cut out, <laughs> work cut out for him there. And we'll get into it. Some good news for the Gators as well, uh, getting uh, an important starter back along the offensive line. Uh, so we'll get that back. Uh, we'll, we'll hear from Billy Napier about that later on here in the episode. But uh, so we'll, we'll transition just a bit. So Seth's background, guys. It, uh, most of you know, you've listened to Gators Breakdown before, but uh, it's an offensive background, uh, more of an offense. Seth knows the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but, of course, if you know ball, you know ball. But we're going to go to the other side of the ball just for a second right here on defense. And no turnover, Seth, in the first two games for the Gators defense. I mean, oh, so close. I mean, there's probably yeah. some interceptions that they certainly should have. Um, Utah's quarterback, Nate Johnson, was fumbling all over the place, too. That's, he yeah, he had two bounce right back up. To the, <laughs> yeah, that was that made you feel like, okay, it's just maybe not their night. Today, yeah. So, but. I mean, yeah, t- so, so, uh, oh, so close. So hopefully they all come about right here versus Tennessee this, key, this week. But only two sacks the first two games as well. But the defense is still doing their job so far, really making teams earn it uh, with new faces, young players. From an offensive perspective, what differences have you picked up on Austin Armstrong's defense compared to what we saw from Patrick Tony last year? Well, I think just in terms of personality. So I was able to go for the last couple of years at least. We'll see if it continues to happen. Uh, maybe be on your show. It might get me too much notoriety here, but I've been <laughs> able to go to the coaching clinic uh, and, and kind of sit in and watch spring practice. Uh, you know, watch a full practice, not just the media portion uh, the last couple of years, and then get to hear the coaches talk and, and give kind of clinic presentations. And I, I sat in with Armstrong this year, and I was really impressed by him, um, not just in terms of his football acumen, but just demeanor and and just kind of the, even though he's a young guy, the way he talked about the game, uh, I was really impressed with him. And I think his style just kind of fits better than Patrick Tony's style, even though the, the scheme is really not much different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to look at the numbers. I think he uh, Armstrong may like to kind of do stuff out of one high safety a little bit more than Tony did, mm-hmm. or Tony liked a little bit more two high safety stuff. I'm not sure if the numbers bear that out yet, but that's kind of was the reputation coming in. Um, but that allows you know one safety to be down in the box, be a little bit more aggressive. I know you mentioned Castell. I think in the first game against Utah, how he yeah. they had him kind of down in the box, playing pretty tight. So it, that allows you to kind of take away run stuff too if, if you can play your safeties down there. But I, I think just demeanor and just kind of style of play that he prefers is aggress- more, a little bit more aggressive, um, a little bit more you know willing to play uh, man kind of outside or man looks outside, play a little bit tighter coverage and kind of mix that stuff in. I think that's kind of the biggest difference is probably just he's a little, it seems a little bit more aggressive. Tony was a really smart guy and a really sharp guy, but he seemed a little bit more uh, passive, maybe a little bit more laid back. It almost seemed like he was. It almost seemed like he was afraid to mess up. I think he's just a. I think it's you know that could. I mean, I don't know if that's it, but he was. He was definitely a really like calm, passive guy. Uh, probably an excellent teacher. And I heard him give a talk as well. He was really smart, but he was very matter of fact. Like this is how we do it. This is what we do. And I think. Armstrong's getting a little bit of benefit of stuff Tony put in last year and kind of mm-hmm. the second year of like the tackling has been one. Um, I've heard people talk about, Hey, they practice tackling. It's like, they, they started doing that last year too. Like every segment of tackle, like that started last year, but this, they've been doing it now for a full year. Um, but I think a lot of it to me is demeanor. He's just Armstrong's a little more aggressive. Um, he's kind of, he's from the region. 
Maybe yeah. he understands a little more, connects with the players a little bit better. Um, that's all kind of conjecture on my part. But uh, I, I just think, to me, Florida defensively is an aggressive defense when they're at their best. Um, so I think his style fits the personnel better. And I think that might be the biggest difference. And there, as Napier said a ton of times, it's second year in the system. That stuff all helps too. But right. uh, I don't know if you'd be seeing the kind of same – Maybe this, I don't, the results could be similar, but the, the the physicality and the way they're playing, the guys really flying around. I mean, that first sack of the game uh, against McNeese, oh, yeah. uh, the thing happened in a hurry, right? Just that that kind of, I think that comes not only with more reps, right, second year of the system, but also I think his demeanor and his willing to willingness to be aggressive. And if he gives up an explosive every now and then, he's all right with it, but he's going to be aggressive. I think that's that kind of rubs off on the players a little bit. All right, here's the first time we'll hear from Billy Napier. He was asked about the Tennessee offense uh, today uh, from the media and get his thoughts on that. But uh, uh, let's hear from Napier on the Tennessee offense. We'll get Seth's thoughts on that offense as well. You know, There is another offense that's going to be on the field Saturday and one that's pretty explosive in its own right. Uh, but uh, let's hear Billy Napier's thoughts on the Tennessee offense. I think, obviously, the, the uniqueness of the offense, the tempo. I mean, they're snapping the ball. They run about three plays a minute, right? So I think they're first or second in the country in pace, right? So there's an element to that that's unique. You know, we, we can speed the tempo up, but we don't do it every play. Uh, but I do think, um, yeah, the uniqueness, you know, in a, in a typical week, right? So uh, they've had success moving the ball and scoring points, and I think there's an element to that. You get not only the personnel – uh, but also just systematically, right? So how are you going to play them? Uh, what are your – what's your fastball going to be? What are your curveballs? What's your slider? You know, and, um, you know, how can you dictate the pace of the game a little bit? You know, I think there's some things to that. So I've got a lot of respect for what they do. A lot of respect for that Tennessee offense, does Billy Napier. And, hey, Seth and I were talking before show, hey, we've got a connection here to this offense. So it's even even better analysis yeah. here uh, with, with with Seth because, guys, if you don't know, Seth has a big-time connection to USF as well. Uh, and Seth let us know, USF hired a new coach. And you know what? He came from Tennessee. Yeah, ten- Alex Golish uh, is USF's new head coach. He was Tennessee's offensive coordinator. They're running pretty much the same exact thing, maybe a few – wrinkles here and there but for the most part it's tennessee's offense and uh first game of the year they had about 100 plays <laughs> so <laughs> i mean it, it's it's uh the interesting part about the offense is it kind of first of all uh, to i think the biggest misconception and, and we kind of we got a chance to talk with coach goalish um and you know i asked him why do people always talk about the passing game because you, it's really you guys are really a run first team. He's like, I don't know. You got to ask other media people. But that's really they are. This system is built to spread you out to run the football, and then once you bring guys in to stop the run, that's where they start throwing the screens, use the run game and play action to hit RPOs and explosives, and then the pace is what kind of the pace with the pounding from the run game gets you thinking slow, and then they. What they do a little bit different than kind of the traditional system is they do a little bit more motion, I think. You saw a lot of hurry-up, no-huddle teams that didn't do a ton of motion so the quarterback could see a picture pretty clearly. They asked the receivers to do a lot of identification of coverages 
And so those guys will have option routes and things like that. So they can go really fast. Um, we were talking about it before, but I asked him, hey, you know, even the ball boys seemed involved and he wouldn't give me any information. He said that was a trade secret. But you watch the Tennessee ball boys, you'll see them sprinting up to the line of scrimmage. You'll see them helping up guys on the sideline. Those guys are super involved. And it's just something that permeates the entire organization, this, this speed. But I think the one thing that, if you really want to give them some issues, if you can stop the run game, basically as light a box you can, that's why Georgia was able to, to kind of wear them out last year. They didn't have to stack the box to stop the run because they had some animals up front. Um, but if you can stop the run game with a light-ish box, uh, you can give them a lot of problems. Yeah, a bit of hope for this Florida defensive line that we – hey, we've talked all offseason about being a deeper front, being a better front with all the bodies they have up there now and – this is going to be the, the – the, I mean, Utah didn't run as good as I thought they did or thought they could. Uh, Florida did a good job in, in stopping that run game, but hey, this is a different style of run game <laughs> that, that, that Tennessee is going to be bringing to the table. Uh, so be eager to see. Uh, so, so, how would you say Florida prepares for this offense? I mean, is it a benefit of playing so early in the season to where you probably can do some of these things in the – in the offseason leading up to it? Or is it really just, you know, all right, we'll take the experience that we have from last year. Even though it's a different quarterback, we can translate it to this year. But how often would you say Florida could maybe put some, you know, game plan in as you build up to the season, knowing this game's only the third game of the season? I'd imagine they'd have to have, especially with, um, and you you may have a clip, but the kind of the importance of the game, Napier said, and, and them talking about it in camp, just talking about just the game in general. I'd imagine they had some type of period, probably not every day, but they probably yeah. had some type of period, you know, you, you know, a couple times a week, maybe during camp. And teams will work tempo, and uh, you can make it really hard on the defense by having kind of two offenses ready to go. So one offense goes, the next one runs on and runs the play, and, and you just kind of well, do yeah. that. And that was a famous story of Urban Meyer and Charlie Strong preparing for the 08 Oklahoma yeah. National Championship game, which I think Hyper was the OC. Was he the OC of that? I don't think I don't. He may have been on staff. I don't. He was. It okay, was uh, yeah. Kevin Wilson. I think was the OC. Wilson, he was that's at right, Tulsa that's now. Right. Yeah, uh, but that was a you know, famous story of having two offenses ready to go. So you've got to be ready. So yeah, it's a, that's kind of the most famous story about the, the speed and practicing for this kind of tempo of the offense. And I think when uh, Napier talked about kind of being rules based on defense and offense, because you want to be able to play in different tempos and different settings. I, I believe we spoke about that today. That's kind of, you know, uh, there's a lot of, you know, consternation about the defense, not getting set and moving and like popping their heads up during the Utah game. A lot of that was because it seemed like, uh, when Utah would exchange strength, so they'd move the tight end from one side to the other, Florida was trying to match the switch and strength. I'd imagine that kind of stuff's probably out the window this week. And so they, they are just going back to kind of, hey, this, this is your rule, whether or not you, you just got to know, hey, if, if he moves now, I'm on the weak side, I'm on the strong side. So yeah. they'll, they'll probably kind of eliminate that kind of stuff, I'd imagine. If they don't, then they can get on you in a hurry. But Yeah, because um, I've I, I noticed Princely doing that. And yeah. he almost right before the stamp, he's going from one side to the other. Of the it typically, if you want, it typically is when a tight end moves. Yeah, he's probably switching the strengths. I don't know if he he might just be a weak side player or something. Uh, maybe, um, but it, I think typically that's when you see that. And then they don't bump too much interiorly, but he, I know he does make that. He kind of travels with that tight end a little bit. So um, now they like motion. Tennessee will run motion, um, but. You probably can't treat it the same way, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. 
All right, yeah, there we go. Look at the Florida offense, a little bit at the Tennessee offense as well there. But Seth's given some really good insight on the Tennessee offense that hey, I, I wasn't even expecting when we, when we when we came into here. At least well, I was expecting good insight, not as right. as in-depth uh, as as I thought we would get there. I kind of I, I just glossed over the, the Tennessee connection at USF now. So. Yeah, I was excited when they hired the guy. I was like, all right, I get to see this up, up a little more close <laughs> and personal every week now. So it's been uh, – now they don't, like I said, they don't really give you any of their trades. They, yeah. they keep that thing pretty tight lipped, but just getting to see it's uh, interesting. Yeah. Josh Heupel was the quarterback's coach there in 08. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there we go. Sam Bradford, Josh Heupel there together under Bob Stoops uh, in the National Championship game versus the Gators. So, all right, we'll get to hear some more from Billy Napier uh, about this big game coming up right here this weekend in the swamp. But before we get there, as a better, you demand perfection. And my bookie delivers NFL, college football, and a brand new cash out system gives you. Options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, wouldn't then cash out early, use the funds on another bet, or just let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday. Join the MyBookie family for an entire season filled with odd boosts, free bets, and super contests. This season, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code GAGERS on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash Instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount once, and you're ready to cash out at any time. Again, that's at MyBookie using promo code GATERS to claim your cash deposit bonus today. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. And GATERS Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Hey, HelloFresh, they got it all going for you. If you work a full-time job, you got a family, you need all the time that you can get, well... Gators Breakdown is bringing you HelloFresh. I mean, look, you need all the time you can get out there. Everybody's busy, school back in session, football season. Well, HelloFresh wants you to have it all. Free time, easy and fresh, tasty food. So they take care of the meal planning, deliver all the ingredients for you. No trip to the store needed. When you need dinner fast, don't call for delivery. Think HelloFresh. Fast and fresh recipes are ready in just 15 minutes or less. Take your pick from 40 weekly recipes that suit your lifestyle from veggie to family-friendly to fit and wholesome. Right now is the time to join. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gators and use code 50Gators for 50% off plus 15% off your next two months. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Gators. Use code 50Gators for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Get your time back. With HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, big SEC opener for the Gators this week versus Tennessee. Let's hear from Billy Napier about how big this game is. I do think that um, it's a big week. You know, it's Tennessee week. I think we've done a ton relative to educating our players about the rivalry. We do have some veteran players that understand that, that have played in the game. Uh, but it's, it's time for SEC play. Uh, and certainly this is an Eastern Division opponent as well. So there's magnitude of that. I think um, it's a big weekend for Gator Nation. We play at home, uh, and we play a, a really good opponent. And I think anytime you play a rival, it's a big game. You play in an Eastern Division opponent, SEC play, you know, home opener when it comes to the SEC. Um, and certainly as a program, I mean, there's there's magnitude here, but – I mean, I would tell you they all matter, right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's one that doesn't matter on our schedule. So, um, I think the big, 
the big key here is that we we focus on what's going to help us play better, you know, and I think that's the whole key to the drill. Um, you know, having been playing these games in the past, ultimately today's Monday. Let's go do Monday as best we can. Uh, let's try to put, put our team in position to win the game. Seth, there's always pressure as a Florida head coach, but I think this is the first like single game. I think I can put it on Napier where, hey, this is this is this is. I think the first time he's facing some pressure going into a game. Now, don't get me wrong, Utah. You know, a couple of weeks ago or a couple games ago, I mean, there's pressure there, but losing that game puts even more so on this. And I think like heading into a game, you know, it's like at, you know, Florida's got to look good. You know, you're at home, you've got a chance to maybe you know kind of rally the troops again. And there's some pressure, uh, I think, on Billy Napier uh, a little bit. You've heard all the, you know, the, the offseason talk about maybe not being the right guy for the job. And Florida loses to Utah, and we're going to confirm a lot what a lot of people are saying. Way, way, way too early for that talk. But I mean, it would look pretty bad. You know, you have to start the season one and two. I know some people predicted it out there. You know, it is a very, very tough schedule. You got two top ten opponent or two top fifteen ish opponents to start the season with. But you know what? That that's life in the SEC. That's life when you schedule a game like Utah, uh, the the first game of the season as well. I mean, there's a there is some pressure uh, on Billy Napier, I think, for the first time to go out there and get a uh, and go out there and get a victory, and it ain't gonna be easy versus Tennessee. Yeah, I think you know, especially kind of when he was hired and and kind of where Tennessee was at. I think fans yeah. could understand in year two if you're still behind Georgia, you know, and and, and but uh, to see kind of Tennessee you know, jump ahead in, in terms of uh, perception, at least, as that next team up in the East. Yeah, that's going to – that, and then being 0-2 against them would, would put, I think, a lot of pressure on you going forward. And it really makes kind of – you know, you can't really afford to lose any any other toss-ups kind of the rest of the year because yeah. uh, you have quite a few in conference. You lose too many of those, and now the pressure really ratchets up. Um, you know, it's important, I think, if, you know, depending on – you know, they could lose the game and then still have a really good season depending on how they, you know, come out of it and what Tennessee ends up being. But, um, you know, the just the, to see the way, you know, the the off season. I think people, were, especially when the win total came out, you know, all right, you know, seven, that seems all right. Six and seven wins, that, that seems okay. And then as soon as they lose to Utah, it's like, holy cow, this guy needs to be fired. It's like, all right, now if you start one and two uh, with another loss to Tennessee, yeah, the, the pressure definitely ratchets up. And I think on the other end, if you win this, it relieves so much yeah. of that. So it, that's it's kind of a real pivot point for him. If if they go in and win this game, especially if they you know who know they come out and win convincingly, then I think everyone's really happy. You get some momentum going into the conference season. Uh, you get a should be an easy one the next week, and then you know from there you get to take off in the into the full conference schedule. But yeah, it's a real pivot point here for him. I think. It really is. It really is. And, you know, you, it, it's, um, you got Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, you got Charlotte sandwiched in between the, the, those two teams. So, hey, look, a win. And I think the worry of, you know, I've brought it up before, this team handling momentum a little bit it hasn't really been so well for, for Billy Napier. But if you do win, well, okay, you got Charlotte the week after. So, but if you do take the fall down or step down, you're probably not going to lose that game anyway. So, it, it gives you, a, you know, another week to prepare for Kentucky. But, yeah, you know, just looking at this, um, hey, look, it has, it's been a while since 2003, 2004, since Florida's lost back-to-back games to Tennessee, all the way back to the Ron Zook days, so it's been forever. Tennessee has not historically played well uh, in, in the swamp. Joe Milton 
was quarterback last time they came to the swamp. He started that game. If people don't don't remember that, so uh, and then you know, of course, Florida wins that game a couple of years ago, and, and Dan Mullins last year still beat Tennessee uh, in the swamp that, that last year for Dan Mullins. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, and Seth going to the point about pressure, and you mentioned you know Tennessee being that team that's kind of pegged themselves behind Georgia. If you're a Gator fan, you don't even like looking at the rankings right now. You, you, start, you <laughs> kind of look outside of this. You got Georgia one, Florida State is three, Tennessee is in the top ten, LSU is ranked, Tennessee's ranked, Miami is now ranked. I mean, all your rivals have gotten some big wins, you know, or winning titles in the last two years. You know, Miami coming off the A and M win, so it pegs them up a little bit this year. I mean. You know, that, this is like, okay, you could beat Tennessee, then you can start putting yourself back into that yeah. conversation with those other teams that are doing some good things. But now, you know, you got your in state teams with some big wins. FSU already with a win versus LSU, Miami with a win versus AM. I mean, this is a time to get some good feeling, some good talk about Florida and not so much your rivals right now. Yeah, I, they, I, it really feels like having that Thursday game and just <laughs> kind of being the only one on TV really sour if it was just on saturday of that week it would have been like it kind of would have came and gone i think without a ton of you know a ton of negativity but being on that thursday uh you had and then the 10 days before, yeah. between that i mean we got to like monday last week and i'm like man they need to play a game soon. like it, <laughs> we need to get to a game soon because we're just rehashing the same stuff over and over and over and it um, didn't help that McNeese was the next game because yeah, so nobody you, cared. You weren't, yeah, you weren't turning the page until Saturday. Yeah. You had to stew on that. So uh, yeah, and so you're basically in the same situation. You're not the only game on TV here, but um, you kind of got a, a a snoozer probably after this one. So yeah, that's another. You got a lot of time to stew on it, and uh, and and like you mentioned, it'd be nice to get some positive momentum going again as as your kind of rivals you know what i what i when i looked at the top 25 i was like man they still got to play five, four or five more of these teams. <laughs> that's what i was looking at it. i was like man utah is like uh i'm not sure where they are now they were i know when i looked last week they're like 15 they're maybe up to like 12 ish and i'm like florida states they're georgia i was like holy cow so yeah if, if you can cross one off the list i think you feel pretty good i mean yeah. who knows what's going to happen with lsu they've kind of been weird looking um, but yeah, you, you feel really good about the rest of the year. I think if you can win this one and, and if you don't, man, that negativity starts to skyrocket again. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it's, like I said, cause of what your rivals are doing. So it's time to actually beat a rival and, and <laughs> cause another thing, Billy Napier has yeah. not had the luck with rivals. So we would kind of put that feather in his cap too, to get something going and, and, and kind of change, uh, the, the fortunes there. But yeah, I think, uh, swamps, you know, ready. I think the, the fans are ready for a big game here. Uh, Saturday night in the swamp there. But, yeah, a little bit of pressure on Billy Napier, uh, I think, for the first time to go out there and, and make sure he gets a victory. Look, year one, you get a whole lot of passes. Uh, you know, yeah, there's, I don't think there's any pressure for wins in year one. Uh, but now losing, losing to Utah to start year two puts a lot of pressure on this game uh, for Billy Napier here. So, hey, something that can help that pressure just a little bit, and, hey, in more ways than one, would be getting your starting center back, but also maybe unearthing a new right tackle right there in Lindell Hudson. Third tackle, um, very capable player. You know, I, I think he's impressed me. He did just show up in June, so there's an element to that. I think he's continuing to learn and grow and develop more knowledge of the system. I think every week he gets a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it gives us a swing tackle there. Um which we didn't have in the opener. You know, he had some issues there. So if we get Kingsley back this week, 
you know, which I think will be a positive. Um, and look, Jake Slaughter was player of the game. You know, he played significantly better week one to week two. So I think there's some elements of that that's helped us from a de developing some depth. Yeah, so, uh, Jake Slaughter starts the first two games for the Gators at center. Good news that Kingsley is back there uh, for, for for the Gators. But, look, I was impressed with Hudson. He played a lot more snaps than I thought he would uh, in, in this game there at right tackle. And he comes in, and Seth, you see a shuffle along the offensive line. I see George at left tackle and you know other guys shuffling in, other guys playing guard and center. Richie Leonard's moving around there for the Gators. And uh, it was pretty interesting to see all those pieces. And it was early on versus McNeese as well. I think they felt pretty comfortable that they could do that early and often and yeah. maybe try and figure out all these combos up front. Uh, but really big, important news that Kingsley Aguakin is back at center for the Gators. Yeah, and I think the center position is underrated in terms of how important it is. I, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people understand that it's important, but even just not just um, in the passing game, like a lot of people think protections, but, you know, some run, some zone run games, the center kind of points to where, you know, he kind of points to where he's going, and then other guys will make their kind of determination where they end up off that. There's some teams that play like that. So he points to a guy and says, that's my guy, and then everybody else kind of works off him. Um, so if they're doing that in the run game, he becomes even more important there just in terms of identifying, helping identify, Hey, these are the guys we're going to be blocking probably in, in the zone play here. So, you know, getting him back, I think will be really important. And, and they were able to, unfortunately he couldn't play in week one, but they're able to kind of rest him. I think give him an extra time to get ready, um, for last week. And so hopefully, you know, Tennessee's in a similar situation too. I think they're getting their center back yep, sure, this yep. week as well. So, yep. um, that it's it's underrated i think how long it's it's really hard to just plug and play on offensive line to start you know that's why when you have florida state's not great up front but they're all played together a lot so they can kind of get around it a little bit um but florida you have all these new guys with transfers and all these other things and then to have one of your experienced guys go out that just adds a little bit more to it a little bit more second guessing of maybe where i'm supposed to go so to get him back i think is really helpful and then Hudson's a guy I actually coached against him um, when he was in high school. I was helping my brother out, and he, he coached against him. He's an athletic kid. They would split him out sometimes, like out wide, and just mm -hmm. he'd be he wouldn't be a receiver, but he'd be split out wide, kind of like the Florida used to run the Emory and Henry with Spurrier. Yeah, they'd okay. split. They'd flex him all the way out there, and he'd go out there and block some poor hundred fifty pound <laughs> corner, you know. But uh, he looked, and I thought he looked pretty. He he was a good. He looked like he could move uh, in the game the other night. So. Uh, I was, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see how many snaps he got, and he can be a helpful guy. And with all that shuffling, that probably tells me they're just trying to say, hey, we've got a lot of guys that are similar. What's the combination to get the best five on the field? So that's probably kind of what they're looking through and, and see if I can – well, maybe I can move this guy over here, and that lets me play this guy. He might be a little bit better there, but, you know, the, you can work your combinations out that way. But you can get your best five on the field now that you have a little bit more depth coming back. Yeah, and Napier said in that sound, but hey, in the first game, you know, we kind of struggle at that spot. Letting me know, maybe if it had been available, he maybe would have made a switch there to take George out, maybe put Hudson in. Uh, that's what. I, that's kind of what I thought. That's what I kind of how I felt hearing that too. You talking about that earlier, so yeah, he, 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 I mean, he looks the part, man, he, and he's athletic. That right tackle spot was a little cursed, you know, <laughs> coming into <laughs> coming into this season. I think you're kind of on like your third or fourth option. And, you know, what you thought coming into, you know, you had weights get hurt, right? You thought yeah. you might be the guy. Then 
the, well, the you talk, tar- good, with Tarquin, Tarquin yeah, yeah, even yeah, then Waits, yeah. and then uh, yeah, the Goodwin kid came in, right? And then he yeah. had to leave, and then they, they, George, I don't, maybe they, maybe the vision for it was play him at Garden, you know, one of the other guys at tackle, and then you had to play him at tackle, and um, now you get Hudson back, so that's helpful. So yeah, we'll see how much he plays this week. It'll be that'll be kind of an interesting subplot. Yeah, yeah, and, we, and Tennessee's got a really good front. Uh, I, I think they do. So I think there'll be a really stiff test there for that Florida uh, offensive line. And if we do see the struggles, maybe we'll see how, uh, or maybe he starts. I don't know. We'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so bad news to end the episode with, of course. I don't know if you missed it the, today, guys. Uh, hopefully you did, but I don't want to be, be be the bearer of bad news. Makai Burrow decommits from Florida, defensive lineman uh, from the state of Georgia. Six foot five, three hundred ninety pounds, seven hundred sixth overall player, seventy second defensive lineman on twenty four seven sports. Uh, of course, uh, now Florida twenty one commits for the class of twenty twenty four. Does not change the ranking for Florida's class. They still stay third on twenty four seven sports on their own three industry rankings. He is from the state of Georgia. Seems like Georgia will be getting another. A uh, large mammoth of a human being there <laughs> on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Burrow, we, we kind of thought maybe be uh, a little underrated. I think uh, it was a pick over Georgia at the time. Probably would end up at Georgia to kind of continue, uh, you know, what they're putting together on defense there. So Florida's class now has two five stars, 13 four stars, six three stars. Uh, and there, of course, head, headlined by quarterback DJ uh, Lagway there. So, uh, unfortunate news there, Seth. You know, defensive tackle, big, big body there for for you know. Florida's done a pretty good job uh, of recruiting defensive line, but man, you get somebody uh, you know to six five, three hundred ninety pounds. They're not many. There's not many that fit that profile, especially ones uh, so that can Florida move gotta, a little bit. Yeah, so Florida got to go pivot there, but uh, well, at least it was a. Uh, on September 11th, and not uh, you know in December or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, better than better than having a Marcus Stroud where he's pulling the Gator <laughs> yeah. shirt off on Sports <laughs> Illustrated cover. Better than that, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, that's uh, the first bad news on recruiting in the in a bit as far as decommitments go uh, there for the Gators. If you want more uh, info there, GatorsBreakdown.com. I uh, got that highlighted there for you guys. So, all right, Seth. Hey, man, thanks for uh, hopping on Florida, hey, Tennessee. Anytime. Big game this week. Uh, Will Miles had to go out of town, but I, I knew exactly where I was going to turn for, for, for my Monday episode. So I was going to get you on anyway. But Will was like, yeah, I'm heading out of town next week. I was like, oh, okay, it just works out anyway. So, uh, yeah, we're good. We're good. Something, sometimes things just uh, – you know, I'm glad you told me that after. I, w- I would have felt a lot of pressure to fill Will's shoes before that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you waited on that. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. But uh, hopefully next week, talking about a victory there. Uh, what time is the USF game Saturday? Will you get to watch? Do you have to bleed uh, over? You, I, <laughs> so um, they play a team you probably wouldn't want to play this week. They play. Uh, they have Alabama traveling to Tampa to play at 3.30. So uh, – yeah, the really? Alabama Crimson Tide, yes. So, uh, yeah, I'll get to see old Nick Saban on the field there, down on the field, and see him after the game in the press conference. Well, it is at 3.30 Saturday. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll get I'll get home. Uh, but like I said, I got the wife trained up now, so she'll, she'll, <laughs> she'll, get, she'll have the first part of the game ready for me. So that'll be that'll be nice. All right, there we go. And hopefully Seth, I'll uh, scheme with Seth next week, breaking down a whole lot of Gator plays that have yeah. led to a victory. Yeah, that'd be love. Some <laughs> explosive pass plays. Come on, let's see. There we go. There we go. Seth Varnador, find his uh, Varnador Films, right, Seth, on yep. YouTube. Find in-depth videos there, uh, even more so than, than what he does on GatorsBreakdown.com. Glad to have him on board right there, helping us out right there, getting that website going. So 
find him right there, Varnador Films on YouTube. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on X, Twitter, social media, whatever it is, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.